book X. Uh, big guest today. Very happy about this guest. Uh, we go back into previous lives before we were in, in, in this. I was here stuck in lockdown once again in America. Um, buddy that's been in the snowboard world. Uh, it is Jeff Believer, Bright, Vice President of Burden Snowboards. How are you, mate? Doing great, mate. How about you? A-okay. Um, we were just talking about it before we we got on, how it's weird time goes by and you can jump straight back into the mix again. You're in a bubble of of this one bit that you're so passionate about and then to have so much legacy within it. How does it feel, I guess to start with, to have lived a life built purely around something that is so passionate driven? Like literally you are living a life of passion for something that you love to do. Because <laughs> not many people get to do that. Like I, I've, the older I get, the more I realize the majority of people don't actually love what they do. So the fact that you've been in the game for this long and genuinely loving it, how does it feel to wake up every day as vice president of Burden Snowboards? <laughs> well, I feel very thankful. And you're 100% right. Uh, doing something that I love and sharing that around the world is, it's just incredible. And mm. I'm, I'm thankful. And what I'm really thankful for too is I'm, I'm as excited to share snowboarding and get more creative with it than I was 20 years ago. And, you know, one of the coolest parts about it too, is I think you remember back in the day, there's just this camaraderie and this crimp community that even in 2008, when we first met, it was like we had known each other after five minutes for, for a mm. decade. So, so really cool. Yeah. It's, I've been watching a little bit of, um, you know, when the lockdown happened and then the last dance came on and then just some more of these sports documentaries and stuff. And what becomes very apparent time and time and time again is the the thing that the people that are in it miss kind of the most is that word that you talked about, Jeff, it's the camaraderie, it's that bond, it's the connection. And it's something that either comes through, I mean, it happens with surfers, it happens all through action sports, it happens with different passions, but maybe it just, um, you know, I think passions doesn't see any barrier or face. It's not like you're in the, the corporate world in the city of like, I'm a CEO, you're this. We don't see this, things the same way. I think when you're passionate about a sport like snowboarding or whatever it is that you're into, um, everything else goes away and you're unified for a passion of the similar thing, which just almost eliminates if you're rich or you're poor, if you're black or you're white. It's it's quite an interesting equal equalizer when you're passionate about uh, these sort of these bubbles, right? Now, 100%. So the 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 role in the in the business right now, obviously, um, for those anyone listening, you know, snowboarding's one of the best sports in the entire planet, um, and the, it's come a long way in the last couple of decades. Uh, how would you uh, describe what you do in the in the business on a day to day now, um, rewinding from back from where you came from? So for those who don't know the, the snowboard world, uh, what what do you do? Yeah, so so I just transitioned. I was the Vice President of Global Resorts for the past eight years. And now I'm shifting into a role in global marketing and I'm the Vice President of Sport and Participation. And what we're really trying to do is weave that global resorts work we were doing into the fabric of global marketing. And so I started that role about five months ago and it's really exciting because before I was man managing our resorts team, working directly with resorts, like, like, you know, everything from teaching kids to snowboard, setting up learning programs to designing runs like the stash. And now I'm also involved in big marketing decisions, forming campaigns, 
you know, talking about the future of the sport. So it's, it's really exciting. And I mean, I can, I can let everyone know every day I wake up and get to be involved with innovating somewhere around the world with amazing humans that mm. all have one common thread and that's snowboarding. Mm. Interesting that a role like this exists from a brand that sells products. Cause usually most brands without purpose just sell the product. They don't really give a shit what else happens with it. Right. <laughs> the fact that it's around, there is a direct correlation back to the increased participation of it. It's almost survival for itself to help it grow for the benefit of all, not just, not just, not just one. Was that a conscious decision that got made internally within, within the business? Because, you know, most other brands, they don't really potentially think as much about participation, global growth, you know, almost like a, a, a sports association or an NSO or national sporting organization and stuff would. What's the, um, what's the thinking been from the Burton brand around its obligation back to help grow the sport? Well, you can, you can thank Jake and Donna Carpenter for that because mm. for so long now they've really believed in, in, you know, taking a leadership role with the sport. And so in 1998, I was working for Park City Resort in Utah and Jake was very frustrated with the retention rate of first time snowboarders and skiers because it was around 10 to 15%. So 10 to 15% of each person coming to learn pieced out. They just had a bad experience and were gone. So Jake and Donna decided, wait a minute, hey, we can we can have a direct impact on this. We can make learning specific snowboard gear and then create a, a learning program, team up with the world's best resorts to ensure that when people come to the resort to learn how to snowboard, they're on learning specific gear, they're teamed up with a properly trained coach, getting set up at the shop that knows how to set the gear up right the first time. All these things put together equal a better experience. And so I helped Burton open up the first West Coast Learn to Ride Center in, in 1998 and then started doing some special projects with them, mainly around kids snowboarding. Because at the time, uh, a massive market for us was Southern California, where you're at. And uh, kids were cruising up to Park City for the weekend. They already surfed. They already skated. And so they wanted to stand sideways. So because snowboarding gear at the time was not as kid-friendly, I was making it up, right? Like I'd go to the Play It Again Sports, grind off the back of ski boots to sh shove them in snowboard bindings so we would have smaller boots. I would, you know, do whatever it took. We would use trampolines to get kids balancing and, and just – kind of makeshifting a snowboard experience because the gear at the time, it was super stiff. It wasn't small enough. Wasn't. So anyway, they, Jake has always had the foresight as well as Donna. So they knew in order to be successful as a sport and as a business, we needed to take a leadership role there. So I'm thankful to have been a part of that because then in 2000 uh, is when I moved to Vermont and I just hit 20 years, bro, in September. And that's huge. It's, <laughs> and it's, uh, I still remember in, uh, what have been 2003 at Heavenly in South Lake Tahoe, they, I think they integrated the Learn to Ride, the LTR sort of system, and yeah. they had, there was a Burden um, Center and stuff there. And I remember someone came out from Burden with a whole bunch of 
um, LTR boards, which eventually one of them became like the early dominant or something. There was someone, was it Jeremy yeah. Jones or something? Had, yes. I heard a story that, for those who don't know, <laughs> Jeremy Jones was like probably one of the, the most epic sort of writers that was on the Burden International team. But I don't know if this is the right story or not, but what I heard in 2003 was he took a learner's board because it had the beveled edges by just two degrees and he actually went jibbing on it. And then that's what turned into the original dominant, which came out, I think it was like the snakeskin top or something in 2003 or four. Is that, is that kind of true? Did that, um, did, there's some, yeah. did something I happen think, there? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think it was him and I think it was downing as well. And, and basically yes. what we were doing was we were really encouraging our reps to get out and ride the gear so they could be better equipped to sell it. And so, you know, they learn to ride board, true twin, super soft torsionally, beveled edges, and uh, for jibbing around, it was a dream. So right away they got on it and they're like, holy cow, we gotta, we gotta have this in a, in a regular line. So anyway, yeah, you're right, 100%, dude. That inspired that board. And, uh, you know, we've been continuing to make improvements to our learn to ride gear ever since. It's pretty amazing how, focusing on a retention rate at the bottom of the industry to help its sustainability in a roundabout way, full circles around to actually make the progression of professional jibbing at the top end better when you actually go to, yeah. to help the bottom. <laughs> and, in, and in 20 years, so I, I still remember when that came through, but I, I do remember when we were up there, the, um, Mike Allen, I think was the head of ski school or something. He was saying exactly that the drop off rate between the first uh, lesson to second lesson was about 90, 90% drop off that people just wouldn't come back for that second thing. So if you think about, you've been in the game for the last 20 snowboarding's only been in the, around for, you know, a few decades now, but you know, humans been around for, for way, way longer. What do you think the story has been so far to date from snowboarding at a macro sense, when you look at humanity, life world, and you think of, uh, snowboarding from where it's come from, from the 20 years that you've been involved with it to the couple of decades before that. It's a story so far. Yeah. It, it really is. And uh, I just look at the community around the world and, and a, a sport and a brand that has helped me become a global citizen. It's, mm -hmm. it's wild. And I, you know, I grew up in the Bay area of California, grew up going to Tahoe and in 1985 went to Boreal my buddy who had a snurfer took me off the side of the road at highway 80, loved it, went to Boreal, took our first, uh, didn't take a lesson, probably should have taken a lesson. But from that day on, I was hooked. And the magical part about that, those times were you didn't see many snowboarders. You had mm. to, you had to prove you had to ride the lift with an instructor and they evaluated you to make sure you could stop, get on and off the lift, control your board then they would sell you a lift ticket. They'd give you a little certification. I wish I still had it. Uh, and when you would see a snowboarder on the mountain, it was an instant friend. I mean, like you'd move mountains to go over and say hi. And so that connection and that community, it was, it was wild. And then to watch it spread around the world and mm. have an impact, like Jake and Donna have enabled me to share snowboarding with so many people around the world. And I, you know, I was checking out your yes to success tour and the RIP tall poppy. It's very, I mean, I commend you cause that's amazing work, but it's very similar to the, I don't know if you've seen the physical education kindergarten through second grade snowboard program 
we developed to work with teachers to be able to share snowboarding indoor as a part of physical mm-hmm. education. And so we went, I went around the world, hit like eight countries, did about 120 snowboarding demonstrations in schools. And it was incredible. So when I was watching your video, uh, Dear New Zealand, I was just stoked because I, and, and it made yeah. me, it made me think like, hmm, God, I got to ask, I got to ask him, how, how could we take that school snowboarding concept and your yes to success and work together to make a greater impact? I was just very moved by it. No, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I just had a point where, you know, for, for my own journey, you know, America's a massive country, hundreds of millions. New Zealand's only got 5 million, you know. I grew up in a, um, you know, we grew up not rich. Uh, I was probably more of the outcast. I didn't have much sort of, I call them breadcrumbs of positivity. You know, there wasn't much yeah. that was out there for me to kind of do or see, and I was kind of its own underdog and its right. And so after I guess I got up to the other side, I, I felt it was, a responsibility that I had to then, what can I do to help create for others? What can I do to create some type of momentum of positivity to, to help and, and sort of scale that for the place, you know, and everyone, wherever they're from is very passionate about where they're from and they're very, you know, you're always proud of where you come from and, and who you're with and what you, what you can be. Um, but yeah, I, I think whether it's just the optics of my world just seen a bit differently, I think it is a responsibility when you have, a platform and opportunity to impact others for good that you should, you know, I, I think it is thing uh, it's important to, and strategically when, you know, when you've got a right intent for yourself, it's, you know, spreading the the gospel of the shred or however you want to <laughs> say it. It's, it's, it's awesome because it's so um, for me anyway, snowboarding was the escapism of, you know, a bunch of problems when I was younger or whatever it may be, it got me out. And, and that escapism was a huge part that changed my entire life. It got me to travel the world. It got me to see things I would have never seen. It got me to just open up my perspective to so much. And a lot of time people, young people ask me, well, you know, what should you do? I said, travel, see the world, get perspective, meet new friends, see new places, you know, experience new things, change your, change your whole thing on it. And so in a weird way, you know, snowboarding for me was that, it was escapism, but it also opened the doors to an entirely massive world, which I never, never, never would have got if I was just sitting at a desk, just writing on books or whatever. It just would never have happened, you know? So I think the um, the outlet of a, a sport or, or something that you're passionate about can just change your perspective on so much and open up the world to many, which I think is ultimately important. That's why I think there's a lot of correlation back because, you know, when you're passionate about something, you want to, you know, you think about the platform of what you've got to be able to do good with it and clearly, um, Clearly you do. And, and I'm also imagining this whole role for this, you know, 120 spots all around the world, whatever, this is funded by the brand, right? Like I, I'm guessing this isn't like the American Sports Association giving you cash to go and help grow the sport. This is literally a brand on a mission to go and do its thing. Yes. And it was part mm. of a access and participation component of our trail map. We have a trail map, which is pretty much our guiding light. And um, at the time, we were on a mission to break down as many barriers as we could to entry so anyone could ride. And Mm. we knew, you know, if we were able to bring it inside and take the winter and weather out of it and bring it into the school so we could teach the teachers how to then teach it, uh, that we would really make a difference. And so then what happened from there was we started popping the same type of a deal up in cities, at resorts, in malls, in shops. And so that's what's very powerful about this is 
you know, I, I coach, I'm a 20 plus year coach. I coach snowboarding, volleyball, baseball, softball. And I would say this is one of the most potent sport development tools because in an oversized bag that the, the product crew helped me design, I can carry this whole kit. And so, dude, I call it magic in a bag. I can roll up anywhere yeah. in the world and share snowboarding. And it's it's amazing because it it really is one of those things where you can change someone's life for the better. 100%. T totally agree. And weirdly enough, I think when you get into something, the people that you meet, because you have such that instant camaraderie for something that you're so passionate about, those relationships for me anyway, and I'm sure probably speak the same, last a lot, lot, lot longer than those if you just sit next to someone in a cubicle just doing something somewhere else. There's, there, it feels like there's more of a depth of relationships with humans than probably regularly exists without that passion, right? Which is, you know, better relationships and escapism, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. No, um, so you go. I was just going to say, you know, because snowboarding, it's it's hard fun, right? Like, like I would mm. say something like bowling – is easy fun snowboarding it, it, you know we've done a lot to make it easier but it's so like when you do link turns for the first time oh my gosh like you said it's just it, it's it's epic and the freedom and the fun you can experience and then once again like we mentioned that connection to people are all around the world who you share that common thread with that is i think can't underestimate that you know the sport changed an entire life for me. Are you aware of, do you realize the impact of getting other people into a sport and then having the byproduct of them years down the line of the people they meet, the friends they'll, they'll connect with, the places they go, the things they'll see. Do you actually understand the, the long tail of effect of the positivity that you're creating in a bunch of these lives? Like, do you, do you see it like that at all? I, you know, I, I haven't really looked at it at a macro level, but I do when I'm traveling the world, I'll have someone come up and tap on my shoulder and go, Hey, you towed me around on a riglet rail five years ago or, or whatever. And I'll be like, Holy cow, you know, and they're taller than me now. And so that's really cool. Or, you know, you see different people you've, you've introduced to the sport or, uh, you know, I've, you know, Jake used to have me teach celebrities sometimes. And, uh, so I feel very fortunate, but the most rewarding ones are when I taught a young kid or we brought snowboarding for free through the riglet program somewhere. And then you meet them five, five years later and they remember it and, and they come up and tell you, you know what, that day changed my life. That's freaking epic. Yeah. So that's the, the long tail of it, which I get not too many people see when they're, I guess, stuck in either products and selling and the business of it there's just it always seems like there's a tension between uh passion and profit in a sport because you got to balance off what's personal and what's the business side of things how have you um how have you managed to uh keep balance between the professional passions and the business passions for both because sometimes it can i'm sure get you know sick of being on the road not seeing the fam or just constantly talking about snowboard all day every day in the middle of the summer and you're wearing you know flip-flops and, and shorts and you, whatever um have you have you navigated your headspace around constantly being so consumed in one thing to have your life plus still have your business life personal versus professional it's it's something i've gotten better at i can tell you that much when i first got to burton i got into a global role and uh i had a lot to learn 
I had a lot to learn about being a global citizen. I had a lot to learn about managing my time. And, uh, you know, it, and it was, it was hard because I show up to a different country and meet people who are passionate about snowboarding and it's hard not to be all consumed. Uh, but as I, as I started to learn from more experienced people in our company and met more people around the world, I started to um, pick little learnings from here and there. And, and a good friend actually who taught me probably the most valuable lesson, a guy named Mike Williams, uh, he used to work for GTD, David Allen Company. Uh, he, he taught me that, that system of getting things done. And it made me so much more efficient that I could show up uh, to a meeting in a different country and I would already have everything lined out. I would already have the key decision makers there. And I knew if, if they listened and we collaborated, because oftentimes, as you know, you get people who will cooperate, but we really want the people who want to collaborate. And so I learned that if I showed them, not only by buying our products, but if you work with the global crew, like myself, the regional crew, um, like Jay Smith in your area, and work together on the 360 degree consumer touch points that we would help their business. And, and not only that, we would drastically improve the snowboarding experience for their customer. And so, so the more we can show um, the partners that we work with that model and, and they, they plug it in and they're really willing to collaborate, that's where, that's where the business side starts to show up as well. Mm. Does your wife ever get sick of you talking about snowboarding? <laughs> yes. Yeah, actually, <laughs> she, she, she does. Um, she's taught me a lot, though. You know, I'm so lucky. And uh, she's a snowboarder, too. Uh, she, she enjoys it. And our whole family, all five of us snowboard. And so uh, we have we've shared. I'll never forget the first day we rode the chairlift together uh, was in Park City. and. Uh, they have a six passenger chairlift. And so that was really exciting and a big moment to be able to, as a family, do it. Cause as you know, you know, you're a super athletic person who's played other sports, you know, oftentimes as a parent, you're on the sidelines cheering your kids on, but with snowboarding, mm. you're in the game, man. And you're, you yeah. know, you're on the chairlift and you're experiencing the outdoors. And that to me was next level. It, it's, it's weird. Now I've got, Two two daughters under the age of three, and I'm thinking about oh, oh we no need way. To get back up, and, and and it feels like it's <laughs> rediscovering again, you know. And and I, you know, we went up to Tahoe um, a couple of weeks ago. We stopped off at this gas station on the side, and in the winters, you always just drive past, and it'd be all the the families and the kids and all these sort of sleds on the on the side yeah. going down. And you always just like, oh, what are you guys up to? And then instantly you have a couple of kids and you're driving in and you see it totally different. You're like, Oh, I could get a little, I get a little thing. Oh, they could come in for a little slide down here. Oh yeah. I'll be into it. And you start getting, <laughs> you, you see the same thing differently through a different set of eyes. I call them like lenses, right? Like you see yeah. something that you've seen years and years and years before, but then all of a sudden you see it differently with a different lens. Cause you've got the perspective of the enjoyment that, you know, they'll have out of it and, and the, and the, um, the awesomeness and the experiences that, you know, they'll get. So that is, Weirdly enough, one of the things I'm saying because I saw uh, Marco Acrylic would have uh, there was a couple of videos and stuff of him and um, and and his his kid. And it was super cool because you could see how stoked he was knowing that like here's a dude doing like back double cork tens like it's no thing, but that he's just more hyped 
looking at the Grom cruise around at three or whatever. <laughs> and, and it's just, some, there was something to it. And I don't think I had, um, had my two daughters yet, but, um, I am looking forward to, to that when I can, you know, go shred with it. And obviously I'm not going to be doing anything silly, but I'm sure just turning right and left and watching your kids smile, like with the biggest grin from ear to ear is probably going to be pretty special to see. So I'm actually really looking forward to that. So yeah, it's thanks for validating what I thought would, would happen in the future. Oh, well, and, and I can't wait for you. Have you seen the hover cover and the regular board? No, 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 no. I, I'm about to deep dive into it. Cause I think this year she's three. I'm like, Oh, me and wifey have been talking about it. I was like, oh, she's she's almost there. <laughs> oh, it's on because through that PE program, when we first designed it, we were using a massive piece of AstroTurf and it was just too heavy, too bulky. So we needed to innovate something to take away, you know, to get rid of that big, heavy, expensive piece of AstroTurf. And so I held a kids round table of all some of our best kids coaches actually in Tahoe at Squaw Valley Resort. And, um, Actually, Chad Sylvia, one of my best friends who taught me how to snowboard in 85. I had all these coaches from all around. He's there with me helping with the round table. We were kind of hitting a wall. And then all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute. What if, you know, the Swiffer for the broom, the little cover? He's like, what if we made a Swiffer for the, the board? And I was like, ding. So that was the moment wow. we were able to bring snowboarding into the gym, which it's now into the house. And so like with my kids, slide. Uh, we, yeah, dude, they'll, they'll pull their dolls around on it and they'll be using it as a toy. And then the next thing you know, they'll want to stand on it and they'll want you to pull them. And so we have, we have that. And then when next time you're up in Tahoe, you got to let me know, have you seen the handlebar? No, 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 I'm hand. about to go this year. I'm about to go in to start doing a bunch of digging. <laughs> well, your, your timing could not be better because the, the tool, learning tools we had when my kids were, were getting into snowboarding, not even funny, like how much better. This handlebar mounts to the to the bottom of the board, or excuse me, right where the bindings go, and it's like a scooter. Kids don't need anything. They just walk up to it, stand on it, and they can go. And Soda Springs, which uh, I work with them to create a little handlebar riglet park, so $15 snow, snow play pass. You can use the merry-go-round. The sledding area and the the handlebar park. So lots of good stuff. I can't wait to turn you on. That was one of That's my cool. questions. I was going to ask you when you're going riding next. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, well, probably brings a great little segue. Uh, COVID. I remember uh, Jake Burdendale. I think was was it March. 13th and on the fifteenth we yes. went into lockdown here. So almost since that day the world's been almost sh shut off. When you think of the sport from a global element or in the, say in the Northern hemisphere for this coming winter, how has the business of snowboarding changed and been totally flipped up on its head for how you're navigating as a brand or a business to this coming winter in, in the Northern hemisphere? How has COVID affected the, the world of snowboarding and skiing, I guess. To, to, yeah, no, it, it's wild. And you mentioned a day for Jake event, which, you know, we wanted to celebrate the life and legacy of Jake Burton Carpenter. And so March 13th, we set out to be the day. So I was uh, working with Zach Nigro, who's our, uh, works in our brand crew and global marketing. And he was working on the brand side. I was working on lining up all the resorts. We were, we had a target of 13 resorts around the world where we could offer for one day, free lift ticket for anyone who wanted to come shred for Jake. And, uh, 
slowly, we had 13 resorts dialed, one of which was in China. So that's where it hit first. Boom. COVID hit. That resort had to shut down. Uh, therefore, we had to transfer that resort to another region. And then it started to hit in Europe. And then it started to hit in the States. And we were able to still pull off the event at some resorts. But it was wild to follow COVID from the very beginning, um, having, mm. as you know, when you're involved with an event, you 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 stay closely connected. And to watch it systematically close down more resorts, which meant then we started to have to close down retail stores. And it was scary for sure. Uh, but what we learned from, uh, we learned a number of things. The Southern Hemisphere winter, uh, we knew going into it, it was an opportunity to learn what we had learned from China and the resorts that had been shut down in the shops and in Europe and, and the Americas and APAC. And let's really focus on as much as we can, working with resorts, working with our retailers to communicate, to share information, to do whatever we could. And so that's that's the angle we decided to take. Some some brands and some some people decided, oh gosh, I don't know what to do. So we're gonna curl up in the fetal position. We said, you know what, let's just communicate, let's share info. And so what we learned was the resorts that had good leadership good capacity management, systems in place to handle um, those fluctuations during COVID worked out really well. And there was even a resort in New Zealand who decided, you know what, we're not going to do season passes this year. We're going to refund them because we need everyone to make a reservation because we know we can only be at 50% capacity. And we want to know how to handle capacity, when we're at capacity, how to staff. And so that Although the consumer at first was like, oh man, we have to make a reservation. What they quickly learned was the on-mountain experience for the resorts that were had dialed systems was better. And there were less people mm -hmm. on the mountain. And so, so what you're seeing the other end of that is resorts that don't have solid leadership and and you know these capacity management systems in place. If you're not doing reservations and things like that, it's it's hard if you're at 50% capacity to manage that. And each region, each state, each prefecture is a little different. So everyone needs to understand resort COVID policies, country COVID policies. Uh, but here in Vermont, where I live, the state of Vermont already put out a mandate that says resorts cannot operate this season over 50%. So they know maximum capacity for them is 50%. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see. But I can tell you this, as you know, you're a master at this. There's innovation to be had and there are opportunities like it's crushing lots of people and it's just devastating. But this is where um, I think just as humans, we have to survive, get into that survival mode and look for opportunities. So that's what we're we're definitely doing. We we thankfully have a lot of amazing partnerships with resort associations, with resorts, with retailers, uh, with nations. And uh, we're doing our best to just hold hands and let everyone know, you know what, we're all in this together. So don't feel like you have to go at it alone. Mm. Yeah. What you're talking about before, it feels like you can talk about others, like it's offense versus defense, right? Opportunity, you know, 
things come in the way, it's like pause, you know, do you retract or do you go forward? Like in New Zealand, say for the um, uh, commercial real estate market, all the millionaires go into defense and go into hiding to hold on and hibernate. And all the billionaires are like, let's play, you know, yeah. and it's a different mindset of how they approach the exact same thing. So it's cool from a brand perspective to see that sort of shift. Now, I totally agree with the innovation side of thing being forced to to change things moving forward. It feels like COVID's probably going to be here until probably next winter for, for argument's sake. After, after COVID, pre-COVID, the way things were, during 50% capacity, changing force innovation, after COVID, do you think it's going to change the snow industry much and, in, and how, how so potentially? Uh, it's a great question. And I, I'll give you one quick example. I'm working with uh, Smuggler's Notch uh, right up the road. They're a, they, they call themselves America's Family Resort. They crush it with little kids. And uh, we're fortunate enough to have had a long withstanding relationship developing kids snowboarding there. So before kids could even walk, they're into the daycare and they're learning about snowboarding and then using our indoor tools and play components, they're learning about it. So some resorts, like you said, offense versus defense, some resorts are saying, oh, wow, young kids this year, we're not going to teach them. We, we got to stay away from that. Smugs, on the other hand, is, hey, how can we work, Jeff, how can we work together to innovate and to get over these challenges? So one of the things we're working on is expanding the Riglet Park at the resort to accommodate parents being included in the lesson. Because what you're going to have to do is, you know, typically as a snowboard instructor, which I know you were before and a coach, if you're teaching really young kids and you're doing everything from helping them blow their nose, go to the bathroom, put their gloves on, strap in. So now the instructor is going to be able to guide the parent to do those mm. touch things. And so we're trying to innovate together so it's not so much hands-on and it's more, you know, features and terrain and learning tools and, and a flow to where it can accommodate the parent. Because typically as an instructor, you don't want the parents around. You want the kids to be mm. focused. But now during COVID, you know, and that's another thing too with Jake, you know, he taught me a lot about teaching people to snowboard. We always would want to have hands-on, especially if it was a one-on-one, because -on -one, you could really keep them from falling, help them get the sensation, and then you kind of pull away. But now during COVID, we have to take a much different approach. It's got to be less hands-on. Um, and so I think there will definitely be innovation there. And I'm really excited because, as you know, teaching young kids, no matter what you're teaching them, doesn't matter what sport, like you got to know how to work with mm. kids. And if you can teach kids, you can pretty much teach anyone. It's my belief. You know, you mentioned the Jake part before started it, built it, um, clearly passionate about the growth of it. That's, you know, changed millions of people's lives. This year has been a tough one, obviously, for the fam of Burden. And, and after he passed, I'd sent, I maybe may even sent you a message. And I talked to Blotto and I sent a couple of people that I'd know in the sort of the, the Burden fam a, a link. How has the, the North Star has obviously been very set for Burden for decades now. What's the energy within the business actually been like without having kind of that driver of that North Star visibly present? What's the vibe been? How's the, how is everyone, how's the soul of the soul of snowboarding? <laughs> well, it, I mean, it was a punch to the gut, right? Like Jake mm. was, I mean, he battled through so much. Uh, he he lived through an autoimmune disease that almost killed him. 
he lived through testicular cancer. And then unfortunately the, the cancer came back and, you know, we were all gearing up. I'll never, never forget reading his email when he said, Hey, you know, unfortunately it's come back. I'm going to battle. So we, Jake's such a fighter that we all thought, okay, he's going to fight it. We're in for a fight. And then it quickly, he, he passed. And so, so that was, that was uh, just, that was definitely very hard. But what I can tell you is Donna and Jake's sons, he's got three boys, Taylor, Timmy, and George are passionate about snowboarding and they want to carry on the legacy. So I think, you know, we definitely had a period where we wanted to reflect and mourn and, and we did that. And then we shifted into celebrating, like, you know what, Jake would want us to celebrate. And so, uh, now there's a burning desire to keep his spirit alive. And, and it's, it's amazing. Like you mentioned, you know, the mind 77 line, Timmy's rallying on that. George is working on some of our Jedi efforts. Taylor's working, working with the America's crew. Donna, I'm fortunate to work directly with her on some of our sport building, sport development and sport advocacy efforts. Uh, so I feel like we're in a really good place. And thankfully, we have a lot of really smart, creative people who love snowboarding that mm. I believe really want to carry Jake's spirit forward. It's so... Jake was one of those figures and I only got to meet him a couple of times, you know, they'd obviously come down to New Zealand like every winter and hang out with the Alties and all the rest of it. And so, you know, you cross paths and you, you know, you're the young buck. So I kind of know my lane, you know, kiss the ring, say what's up, knuckles and a beer, you know, like I just, you know, I, 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 I stayed in my lane, but the impact that one human had of such a force of a direction for where a business was going very similar in many ways to, there was always questions of, after Steve Jobs died with Apple or after he passed of like, can it still be big? Can it still be great? Is it whatever? And I always thought the blueprint that was set out for the direction of what was so into the DNA of that business, you don't need to stress about because it was, it's been in there for decades and it, it represents something a bit differently with Jake. I almost felt it was the same thing because obviously outside of just passion for technology, say if it was the Steve Jobs for Apple conversation, it was around, the people and the purpose of the sport. And that, I think that North Star, that blueprint had actually been there in similar ways, even though he was physically there for years. So even without him potentially driving the ship or being the visual steward or, or for, for, for the, for the sport or for the business, everyone without actually writing anything down on paper, everyone almost knows. So it almost feels in many ways um, that, that, probably will never be an issue because the passion of the sport that drives everyone is never going to go anywhere. If anything, it's going to excel because it brings legacy and time. Is that kind of the tone of what the people within the business feel of, of clarity in its future because it's actually been there the whole time anyway? I think, I think it's a great observation and I think it's, it's very true because Jake and Donna have always spent a lot of time at the office, always spent a lot, you know, they've moved, they lived in Europe. They've lived in Asia. Um, they've immersed themselves so many different times in the business and with different communities around the world that he, really, like you said, they've been teaching us the whole time. And, uh, mm. you know, it's almost like for me, once again, going back to coaching, um, I just retired from coaching high school volleyball for seven years. And we built a system, our offense and defense, where I knew the moment I was done, as long as I trained the new coach on this system, 
that he was going to be able to have success as well. And I think mm. it's similar to what you're talking about. Like we learn the ways, almost learn this, this system. Uh, and, and Jake wouldn't probably want me to use the word system, but by learning from him and by learning from Donna and, and the amazing people within our company, you're right. We kind of knew, hey, you know what? It's time to step it up. And, and now I need to do my part and, and carry that spirit forward. So, no, that's a great observation. Yeah, I, I, you can always feel it from the energy of people within organizations or the direction that things goes. And I think when it's so passionately driven about something, it's different to say a corporate where a new CEO comes in. It's like, this is our new direction and change the this and change the that because they've got this new vision or, or mission. The difference is they will have a vision of what they see for the commercial outputs of an organization. But for the brand of Burden, it's clear that it's not just about products and services, it's about growth and community, the empowerment, engagement, and there's so much more to it that that's not really a product. You know, you're not selling, I don't know the ROI of a three-year-old holding a handlebar to have the stoke on their face that changes <laughs> potentially their lives. I think all those different sort of nuances and touch points of what the business actually represents, it's, it's, it's definitely more, um, there's more depth to the impact I think the business has had and will have that I almost wasn't actually stressed about it because all the things they've been doing for years um, have sort of just crafted that around. But that was something that I wondered because I, I always, um, I get intri intrigued around behind the scenes of business when you look at different things. And when I was um, writing for, um, uh, before I actually moved over to Burton, I'd sort of stopped competing. And I remember I sat down with uh, Guy Alter, who was the um, you know CEO of New Zealand Burton at the time. And I was yeah. really hesitant about signing to Burton. I was really hesitant. I'd stopped competing, but I was wanting to do this media thing. And I was passionate about content and internet had just come around and we got broadband and I had these, these visions for what media would be. And, you know, historically I turned out to be correct, which was great. But Ooh. I was really nervous about shifting to Burton. And I remember sitting down in his office and he goes, um, so what's up? And I was like, I'm just really, people are saying that I'm going to be a sellout if I come to Burden because they're the, the big players in the scene. And I always remembered, because I was really young, I'm only, you know, 19, 20 or whatever. And he just goes, um, okay, uh, who owns Burden? I'm like, oh, Jake. He's like, how many days, how many does he snowboard? I was like, yep. How many days does he snowboard? I was like, oh, you know, he snowboards like 100 days. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, and who's giving you shit? He's like, oh, these people. And, just for argument's sake, who do they ride for? And I say a couple of the companies goes, okay, well, who, who owns those companies? I'm like, <laughs> uh, uh, I, like one's a ski company, then one's a surf thing. And then one's that is like, oh, and are they publicly listed? And I was like, yeah. And who owns those? Oh, I don't know. Like many people like VCs. Oh, he's like, okay, cool. So you're telling me, and this is the way he did it. It was so, it just ingrained in my mind, the layers to the shit. He goes, so you're telling me that someone who's uh, owned by suits and shareholders in New York or some people who've never even snowboarded in this, in this life, they're calling you a sellout because you want to come ride for a, a company that's owner snowboards a hundred days a year, gives everything back to it and blah, blah, blah. And it was just when you're so in the, I guess in the hype train of the moment and brand and what's cool or what's not, you yeah. don't see what's behind the curtain. And I always remember that was a, such a good learning for me because it just made me stop for a second and think about the differential between public and private and, and purpose and legacy and currency and all these kind of different things. And I guess when you get older, it becomes more and more uh, relevant of, you know, like now you look at the surf industries and a bunch of the biggest competitors are now owned by the same thing and all the rest of it. When you see the brand of Burton and the rest of the other ecosystem, how do you, do you see it in a similar way? Like how do you see 
how do you see what the brand represents to the sport when it comes to the the the, the mix between passion and profit? Well, I see, uh, <clears throat> like you mentioned, the fact that we're owned by a snowboarding family, and and you're right, like Jake, that was his mission every year was to ride a hundred days, and as you know, that's not easy unless you're like doing it for a living, uh, or have flexibility in your schedule to do it. So. Uh, he, and, and especially out here, oftentimes the conditions can be freezing rain or whatever. Like Jake knew he still had to get his days in to achieve that. So I think, you know, people love to, you know, give successful companies a hard time. And uh, I think that's something that, you know, anytime you're number one, you're, you're going to face uh, some criticism. But anyone who has met the Carpenters, they you will quickly learn how much they love snowboarding and how much they care for the riders, for the community and how much they want to just make sure it's healthy and that it's moving forward and progressing. And so to me, I've always been very proud to work for a company like that. Uh, you know, cause I grew up closer in, you know, on the West coast where Sims at the time in the eight late eighties was, was, you know, Sims and Burton were battling and, uh, my first skateboard was a Sims. Uh, one of my first snowboards was a Sims. And it wasn't until I started riding Burton product and, and getting familiar with the other brands where I started to really gain an appreciation. And then when I got to Burton in 2000 and started to meet with the product crews, the marketing crews, it was opened my eyes. And, and it's just incredible. And, and, you know, one of the things I think of too is I take a look at yourself how you were a professional athlete. And then I look at, wow, look at the, look at the crew you might have, or probably did influence. I mean, look at, look at New Zealand, Carlos Garcia, Knight, Zoe throwing down in the Olympics. I mean, how's that? Mm. So rad. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, um, you feel that you try and play one small part of something for yourself, but it's not potential because you're so in it. Maybe it's till after that you realize that, you know, you know, in some small way you're putting breadcrumbs for others, but I just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued with the, the state of, you know, we met in 2008 GFC hit pretty much the same year. The entire ecosystem pretty much got in many ways got decimated with local small retailers and wholesalers through all that all over the show. And now 20 years later, <laughs> we're in COVID world through this another whole whole thing. So what have you think has been the biggest shift in the business of snowboarding in the last 10 years from when we in 2008 to now, since the first GFC to, to COVID? What's changed the most? That's a great question. Um, I mean, there's, there's a number of things that have changed. I mean, the one in, in my area of focus that I've been laser focused on is knocking down barriers for young kids because, you know, being a global citizen for the brand still in many parts of the world, you have to ski first. Like it's just one of those things, especially in Europe where there's such deep, rich skiing history mm -hmm. and heritage that oftentimes you know, young snowboarding families will call their local resort to get a snowboard lesson and they don't offer a lesson under seven or eight. And so, you know, that has been a big part where we've been able to break down a number of those barriers 
bring awareness to the resorts that are actively teaching young kids and helping us share snowboarding from the very first start. So I, I believe we've made progress there. So that 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 I would say is is one positive change. And then I think what you're also seeing too, because of COVID and just the trend the past couple of years is, you know, brick and mortar retail being more challenged and direct to consumer, definitely strengthening. Yeah. And I remember in, yeah, through that time, brands were first starting to think, do they go direct themselves? Do they create their own pop-up stores? If they, if they did, you know, that kind of felt like it was tension in the ecosystem. Now, when you look at, how it's going out. What's the current retail climate of online versus in person clicks and mortar? What's the sort of makeup with how that sort of shifted in the last 10 years that you've seen? Uh, you, you know, definitely an increase in online and direct to consumer. There's no mm. doubt. And especially during COVID, right? Like you're starting to see that amplify even more. But, you know, one of the things we've always tried to encourage is helping that local snowboard shop. Cause as you know, you can order that kind of stuff online, but when you can go into a shop, try on multiple pairs of boots, get your boots heat molded, get your setup dialed with a, with someone who really knows how to give you some pro tips like that, that kind of experience I think is still there for the taking. And I think that's, that's where doing brick and mortar retail in the future you really have to make sure that you're providing that type of a an in-store experience and an in-store mm -hmm. service so you can lure customers in there because those are the things you can do where that's not the kind of hand-holding you can get when you purchase online. I remember there was some tension in a few retailers that I saw where they were saying, oh, if you want to try on boots, um, you're going to have to put a $50 deposit down to try on a boot. And then if you don't buy it, then we keep the money. And then if you buy it, that gets taken off because what there was a wave at the time of gray market or um, parallel import where they would go into the store, do all the stuff. And because it was obviously the New Zealand's winter, uh, they, there'd be a bunch of people that would obviously buy um, the stuff in the States cheaper, bring it back. And then they would basically just go into the store, picking all this stuff and going, and there was kind of real, no lack of, I guess the market. And I just want to know when you look at other retail environments, what's the biggest shift in retail that you've seen uh, or get inspired from, from other industries or verticals that you've seen get shifted into, uh, into the snowboard world? Well, I, I have one example, um, a Jake story where he, he brought me into his office one day and, and I, I'm very thankful, you know, my first 13 years with the company, Jake and I used to talk about coaching as well. Like he coached his kids in little league baseball at the same time I did. So he would, he would come in and get me out of a conference room, Jeff, Hey, first and second, two outs, what are you doing here? And then he, he, we would share information. It was really cool. But, but to answer your question, one day he called me in his office and he said, Jeff, he had the new iPhone. He's like, man, Apple does a killer job. Just luring you in just, you need to have the new product. And, and he was alluding to the fact that we make a lot of amazing products. And if we could just get the people on the gear that the same effect would have happened, if they had never tried it, they would, they would end up buying it. So that's where we started test ride, which was um, inspired to get 
to enable customers to try before they buy, try new technology, um, or say, for example, you're flying to New Zealand and you're going to Whistler and you don't want to carry your gear, but you want to make sure and ride the best Burton setup, you'd go to one of our test ride centers. So that one, that was really cool because I think, uh, once again, he always saw the future and uh, we've, mm. we've done well with that because I think as you're starting to see rental demo sharing around cities and different environments, it's increasing. Mm. Yeah, the, the gig economy of how they're approaching customer experience is changing potentially. They don't need to own the whole thing. They use what they want, when they want it, how they want it. Um, you talk about what that future will be. You know, you've been in the game for 20 years, 20 years from now, what does the snowboard world look like in your in your mind? Look at you, full of great questions there, my man. Uh, well, I think one of the trends we're starting is with step-on. So I think straps, for the most part, will probably be a thing of the past. I mean, maybe your core, super core riders will still be riding them, but uh, that, that's been a technology that Jake got going and was really passionate about. And when we released it to the market, uh, the ability for someone to just be able to hop right off the lift, pop in and beat his buddies into the trees for some fresh powder, it's just a game changer. And uh, so I think you'll continue to see innovation with that in and out, I believe. Uh, and I also think you got to experience the stash, right? Like once again, that's another thing where Jake enabled us to inspire resorts to get more creative when they're making runs, not just make a, you know, twist over here and a turn, but Hey, we can make a road jump here. We can use those undulations over there. We can enhance that. So I think run design terrain park design, all of that, I think will continue to, to elevate and become optimized. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I think COVID does bring an opportunity because if you look at surfing and skating and biking and these outdoor sports, people need to get out. I mean, you need to get away from your screen. You need to get out of the house when you're in lockdown mode and to be able to go outside during a pandemic and enjoy a sport. That's, that's amazing. So I, what I will be curious about if you and I can look 10 years from now, and see how many new new snowboarders we created during this COVID season, and also how many dropout snowboarders did we get back re-engaged during COVID? Mm. Time will tell, my friend. Time <laughs> will tell. Well, I mean, it's uh, you know we're both in the big scheme of things, we're still very very young and relative to the sport. We've probably seen enough from early enough to where it is to where it potentially can go um i do think we talked about escapism for the sport to get out and enjoy it now if you look at you know covid their freedom to be outdoors and and get inspired is something that is probably a lot of people are craving more so social interactions and stuff as well um i really appreciate your time jeff i know it's been a minute and i know you're a very busy man with plenty to do especially coming up to like the snow's dropping somewhere you you i'm sure the emails going off people want to get out and get in the mix um i really appreciate your time and th and thanks for all you do for this the sport and and it must feel cool to be part of something that is already legacy and stamped within an entire global ecosystem and being a key driver to help many many more enjoy the the stuff which obviously both of us have been able to do so i really appreciate your time jeff um it's been awesome awesome to chat with you
Well, hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm humbled and, and you know, props to you, buddy, for, for doing the work you're doing and especially w- what you tackled with that syndrome in New Zealand. And if you ever go back on that Yes to Success tour and you want to bring snowboarding to those schools at the same time, let me know, my friend. I'm happy to help. S- sounds like another project I can add to my list, man. Um, <laughs> you, you got me excited. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeff. I'll talk to you soon, bro. Take care. Later, brother. Jeff Belieber, Vice President of Burton Snowboards. Amazing to have him on the show. This has been Rebecca Live. Uh, I've been Rebecca Hollis. Be good, be well, and I'll see you guys soon. Dash Radio, Dash Talk X. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a good day, everyone. See you soon. Peace.